Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord. And with God's help and blessing tonight, I want us to turn to the book of Colossians and we're going to build a fire with his word and we're going to warm our hands and our heart as we center ourselves around the truth of around the truth of his word. And truth is an operative word this evening. Amen. Because I want to speak to you about truth that can be put to the test. You can test truth. It, it'll stand. Truth is not intimidated. Truth will stand. And, uh, you know, if you're building something, no offense to anybody who may own anything I'm about to name because I promise you I'm just pulling it out of the air. But, uh, you know, if you want to build a little flower box for your wife and whether you consider yourself to be or not to be a carpenter, you could probably just run down to Harbor Freight and pick you up a skill saw or a circular saw, and that will probably get the job done. But if someone is going to frame a million-dollar home, I promise you that is not where they're buying their tools. They're going to need something that's going to be true. And that trueness is not just going to be found in the dollar amount or the brand, but that trueness is going to be found in laboratories where they're doing research and development and they are putting it to the test. And if it doesn't stand the test, then it has to move on. And so tonight I'm thankful for truth. And so we're just going to, I'm not going to read a text, but I just want you to join me in Colossians 2 and 8 and uh, we're going to pray. How's that? I just realized you were standing. <laughs> I don't know what I thought you were doing, but anyway. Let's pray. Lord, I love you today. Thank you for the presence of the Holy Ghost that we felt here tonight. Dear God, don't lift your spirit from off of me now. Don't lift your spirit from off of this congregation now. <laughs> but oh, mighty God, mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. Pour out your presence upon us. Rain down your authority and your anointing in our midst, God, and we'll welcome it tonight. I promise you that we will welcome it tonight. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. And God bless you, amen. Now, more than ever before, you can be seated, I'm sorry. We will, we must, we must, we must. I want to just admit something. I'm going to be uh, exercising all the that I can all the self-restraint that I can because there's just something inside of me that wants to jump up on the rooftop and scream this message tonight. If I thought that would make any difference, that would certainly be my approach. But I believe God can speak in a whisper louder than I could when my voice screams, so I ask Him to speak to us. But now more than ever before, I believe that we must, must, must be spiritually alert. We have to keep our eyes and our ears open and open and be aware of what's going on around us spiritually. 
Because there are those, and it is not new, it's as old as time and as old as man, it's as old as the devil. There are those that would pervert the truth of the, of the gospel. Amen. There are those that will pervert, if I could just be candid tonight, there are those that will pervert the gospel in settings just like this. And it will play out all across our nation around the world. The added layer of danger is found in the fact that this perversion or this sense of perversion can manifest itself in such subtle ways. And so the Apostle Paul addressing the church at Colossae and, and I, we've been teaching on the book of Colossians for a little while now and I just want to go back and just remind you that this is a church that was born out of the ministry of the Apostle Paul but Paul never visited Colossae and uh, never in person was here but this was a church that was born uh, a branch of his ministry from others that had been affected by the gospel and so Paul is writing a letter and uh, he has given some practical advice uh, to this church and so we've just been reading along and letting the Spirit of God touch our hearts because it is as, it is as relevant for us this evening in 2020 as it was when the Apostle Paul penned these words. I think first, firstly we must understand the importance of guarding ourselves against deception. And... Um, so we, we guard things that are precious to us. We lock the door on our car. We lock the door on our home. We lock the door on things or lock the things that are precious to us. We guard. We set something in place because it's of value to us. It means something. And uh, so I believe that we must guard. And so Colossians 2 and 8, this will be our launch tonight. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So Paul is calling the church of Colossae, and if I could be as um, bold tonight to say God is calling us just as well, to be aware of hollow and deceptive teachings and deceptive philosophies and, and these things that seemingly masquerade as biblical truth. Beware, beware, Paul said, that any man spoil you through vain philosophy or vain deceit. Now, the word philosophy used here just simply means the love of wisdom, the love to grow or the love to learn, the love of wisdom. And so if we just take that word alone, singularly, it is, it, it's harmless and it truly is. But, but Paul couples that word, philosophy, with two other words that change the complexion of this message altogether, and that is the phrase vain deceit. Beware of that through the, you are not spoiled through philosophies or vain deceit. And so when you join all of these together, we have now something that very much has a negative connotation. And Paul goes on to use the phrase after the tradition of men are the rudiments of this world. The phrase used here, the rudiments of the world, appears again in Colossians 2.20, and then it appears again in the book of uh, the same writer, Paul, in the book of Galatians. According to the context of both Colossians and the context of Galatians, there seems to be an underlying meaning, or I shouldn't say underlining, but there, should, there seems to be an obvious meaning 
And that simply means to talk about legalistic traditions or teachings that are just solely based on carnal, fleshly thinking. Just something that can be contrived of man or born of carnality. Therefore, false philosophy is based on generally human traditions or principles of the world or principles that are carnal. And so Paul is stating something that should be very, very clear for every born-again believer. And that is this, that instead of, in, of appealing to tradition and creeds and, and man-made doctrines, we should adhere to the text, the teachings, amen, and the overlap of Scripture itself. Our lives are not bound by tradition, but we're standing on the Word of God. Amen. The Word of God, the Word of God, the Scripture itself. And so what we teach and preach from this pulpit is not a book that we have written ourselves. It's not some idea that we just came up with on our own. But we're preaching from the Bible that can be purchased anywhere around the world. Amen. And so rather than focusing on Jesus Christ, the church of Colossae was depending upon human tradition. And they were basically depending on on worldly concepts or worldly principles. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, then this fabricated Christian teaching can also captivate us and lead us astray. Now, I'm not trying to, to just spin words here today, but I have often said that the most dangerous thing about deception is the fact that you're deceived. The Bible says, and I know we, we read it quickly and quote it quickly, but if you think about it, the Bible talks about deception that men would believe a lie, believe a lie and be damned. And so the horrifying thing to me about deception is the fact that people are deceived. And so we just pray constantly and should pray constantly that the Lord help us to be sober and alert in His presence and to always pray for the spirit of discernment and exercise the spirit of discernment. Amen. And so here's this church is, is, is just following human tradition and, um, and just basic principles of, of the world at their time. And that led them to the Apostle Paul writing this letter to them. And if we're not careful, regardless of what our past may be, we can fall into the same trap. So Paul issues a, a strong warning. And he is calling the church of Colossae, and I think calling us today, to a high state or a higher state of spiritual awareness to be aware. And so today we face a lot of things. And I'm not suggesting that today is any different than any other day. But it, I do believe that, that we are living in the last days. And so the temperature of things are turned up. And so we face numerous forms of deviant teaching. And sadly and candidly, some of this can even be found in, within the church. And so you can find on one hand an, an abnormal bent toward liberalism. And we could just have somebody just running over here in this ditch. And then also, on the other hand, there is an abnormal and imbalanced teaching on legalism. And so we are over here in this ditch. And, and those things can be found even with sometimes within the context of the church. And so... I have prayerfully, prayerfully sought the Lord my whole life, especially ministerial life, I should say, at least that, my adult life, 
I always prayerfully sought the Lord to have and find a balance in the Word of God. Now, I want to do that for myself. I want to have a balance for my own self. But because God has called me to pastor and to lead and, and be an influencer, then I feel like I have a greater responsibility to seek out balance because it's not just my life, but it is those that are being influenced by me. And so I want to pray and ask the Lord to help me Find a balance in you. I don't want to. I don't want to run over here in this ditch and 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 find myself in a in a with a spirit of liberalism where just you know anything goes. Nor do I want to run in this ditch over here to where it is just a legalistic point of view. So Lord, pray. I pray. Help me to find that balance in you. I have often quoted. Not just from behind this pulpit, but from from many that I've had the opportunity and privilege to stand in. Psalms 26 and 12 where David said, My foot standeth in an even place. You've heard me say that publicly. You, some of you have probably heard me say that to you individually. And that is not a random statement that the psalmist David, it, it, he wasn't just trying to be uh, whimsical and write something down, but th- there was very something very intentional about that. And so I, for just a few moments, would like for us to consider this passage of scripture in its context. And we're teaching from Colossians, but we're going to jump over here to Psalms for just an hour or so, and then we'll be back to Colossians, so just hang on. Amen. The book of Psalms 26 and 2, David asked the Lord to do four things. In 26 and 2, he said, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. The word prove there means try. Try me. So examine me, try me, Approve me, and then he says, Try my reins and my heart, or try my reins and try my heart. And so there are four things that David asked the Lord to do. Now, you know, that's a pretty bold thing. That would be a bold thing to ask your best friend to do. But when you're talking about the Lord, kind of close that closet door behind us and say, Here am I, Lord, and I want you to examine me and try me or prove me, try my reins, try my heart. Now, this is not a self-righteous man, kind of like the Pharisee that said, I thank the Lord, I'm not like that. This is not David in here, you know, kind of brushing off, getting ready for the Lord to really lift him up. Not at all. This is an honest request from a true man of God. The word translated examine and try or prove refer really to the testing of metals. And uh, that was the, the logic or the train of thought in that in those words, it's it's like the the word that the, the words rather that he is using is he is saying like precious metals. I want you to determine my true value, and in the process, if you're talking about precious metals, in the process of of determining the true value, something that happens in the process of that is that you are removing the impurities of that. And so those precious metals are melted down and tried. They are proven. And uh, they determine the value and they get rid of the draw. So they get rid of that that is no good or of no value. And then David says, try my reins, kind of an odd thing, and my heart. Now again, this is not an arbitrary selection of words. The word reins means mind. And so he says, try my mind and my heart. And so if we look at this from the psalmist David's point of view, that's what he's saying. Try my mind and try my heart. Or he is saying try my mind, 
which is the place of moral decisions. Try my mind. Amen. And then he says, try my heart, which is the seat of our emotions. And so he's saying, Lord, I'm not just asking you to look at me externally. Give me a glance and a check by my name and let me go on my merry way. But I'm asking you, God, to visit my thought life. And I'm asking you, Lord, to look into my heart. I want you to, to, to look at the area where I make moral decisions. I want you to look at the seat of my emotions. I came across something this evening that interested me in study on this. I, I, to be honest with you, I've never, come, I've never read this before today. But the word reigns can also refer to kidneys. What? That's what I thought. And so when I first read that, I, I thought, honestly, I typed in the wrong scripture in my reference. And so I went back. And sure enough, there it was. And again and again and again, I found this. Because we went from our mind and our heart to our kidneys. I got a little lost. I'm just going to be honest with you. So I had to delve a little deeper. And truly, that is one of the definitions of the word reigns. The function of the kidneys is to filter impurities from the blood. And so could it be that David is saying try or test the very system that purifies the impurities of my heart and my mind, try me and test me and 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 amen. I know that boy, we can we can sing about that. We could probably plug that into a lyric and and try my heart, Lord, and try my mind. But we'd probably lose some of our guests if we said, Lord, and don't forget my kidneys. <laughs> I promise you, our praise team would get at least one bless them, Jesus out of out of that. Test our, our kidneys, Lord. Test that that purifies the things. Try that. I'm talking about truth that is not ashamed to be put to the test. You can try it. It will stand the test. It will stand the test of time. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go back in time at the risk of losing some here, but I think I think I'm I'm examining this crowd real quickly. But how many of you remember Corelware when it first came out? Corelware first came out. Okay. Well, I'm not feeling so alone now. I can remember I was a I was a young man, and my my mother and I were at at a Sears a department store, and that's the first place that I ever remember seeing Corelware, and and uh, so we were standing in the Sears department store, and the man that was showing my mother uh, the durability of Corelware took a plate, and he didn't drop it on the ground. But with all of his might, he threw that plate on the ground. And it just shocked us to no end. And that was the selling point of Corelware. And that's why millions and millions of homes had and maybe still have. We still have some Corelware, don't we? Okay. From your mother? Yeah. Let's try it tonight when we get home. <laughs> we can come back Sunday and kind of give an update, a report. I do know this about Corelware. When it really when it breaks, it really breaks. It really breaks. You you won't you won't glue that back together. But it wasn't the the, the salesmen, they, they weren't ashamed to try that, to test that. 
to prove it. And again and again and again, and that was a selling factor. And I don't think you were there with us that night, but I see you nodding your head, so somebody must have demonstrated that to you as well. That this is why you should buy this, because it will stand the test. It will, you, can, you can try it. You can do it. And so David was saying, try me, try me. And so David's life was motivated and controlled by God's love and God's truth. And, and although David had some obvious failures in his life, as we all do, as we all do, there's something that was redemptive about David and others in the Word of God, and that is the fact that David's natural bent you know, I know you can take a machine and, and, and people that know what they're doing can make a tree fall where they want it to fall. But if you just cut a tree, it's going to generally, it's going to fall in the way that it is bent. And the natural bent, the true bent in the life of David was always toward the Lord and toward his word. Amen. And that's, I believe the, the Bible reminds us that we should fall on him. Amen. I don't want the word to fall on me, but I want to fall on him. Amen. And let me be broken and not crushed by him falling on me. And so he refused to have, in, in Psalms 26, we're still here. He was refusing really to have uh, fellowship with those that were hypocrites in the congregation. Now, these were people that were pretending to love the Lord and pretending to keep his covenant. Amen. But he didn't want, that doesn't mean that he was isolating himself from that or just kind of going off into a hole. But rather, David was saying, I'm not going to allow those things to defile me. There were some unscrupulous things that were going on in the lives of people that he was worshiping with. And so David said, well, the answer is not for me to go move in a cave, but the answer is, Lord, for me to guard, amen, put something in my life and don't allow those things to, to defile me. And so David was balanced. He hated sin, but he loved the Lord. Amen. He knew how to find that balance in him. So the wicked came into the sanctuary, and they came, they came into the sanctuary to hide their sins. Amen. It still happens today. Amen. People can hide behind a smile and hide behind a thank you, Jesus, and a praise the Lord. But David really went to the house of God to worship God. Amen. His motives were pure. His hands were clean. Therefore, his sacrifice was acceptable. And to be sure, his voice was clearly heard when he praised the Lord. So we think about cleansing. Cleansing comes from the blood of Jesus and from the water of the word. And, and so in order to serve God in an acceptable fashion. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament priests were required to wash their hands and their feet in the labor. There had to be a washing and a cleansing. And so David couldn't stop the hypocrites from joining the congregation, but he could help from becoming like them. Not to sound cute, but I've heard people again and again and again say, well, I'm not going to go to church because of all the hypocrites and I have kindly said to them, I would rather go to church with a few hypocrites than to go to hell with all of them. Amen. I'm not going to let that stop me. I want to get into the hand of God, into the pool of God's blessings. And this is what David was saying. I'm not going to let those that are being pretentious, I'm not going to let those that are, being, uh, 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 that are not being genuine, I'm not going to let them affect me. I'm not going to become like them. So he asked the Lord to deliver him from that sin. In, in Psalms 26 and 9, he says, Gather not my soul with the sinners, nor my life with bloody men. Another translation of that same scripture says, Don't sweep me away with the wicked. We may say, Don't throw me out with the wash water. <laughs> Just somehow let me stand pure in the midst of all this impurities. 
the sheep and the goats and the wheat and terror, they may be mixed today, but you know there's coming a day that God will do the separating on all that. And we have to put that in His hands. Amen. Godly people, we have got to be constantly aware of the evil influences of this world. We must be constantly aware. You know, I just I, I have hesitated all afternoon whether to share this or not. But, but a few days ago, I was just scrolling through YouTube and, and there was a, a video apparently of a sitcom that I was not familiar with. And uh, I, I clicked on it, and, and uh, man, it was, it was kind of funny at first. And I was watching it. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, children, the, 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 the children of the family in, involved in this, the children were talking, and, and they, were, they were mocking and making fun of the Bible and mocking and making fun of, of Christians and people that believed in the Lord. I'm being very honest with you. And I thought, my Lord. Again, on the, on the wheels of humor comes a far less than subtle message. Amen. That we don't have to believe in this. We don't want to believe in the word of God. And I was appalled to think uh, how, many, uh, how many youth in our nation and around the world have been ill affected by just such a message. And so I will say it again that godly people must be constantly aware of evil influences that are in this world. Amen. I promise you I don't go looking for devils and demons behind every little hedge. But let me tell you something. There is an evil influence in this world. Principalities, amen. There are spirits that are that are at work right now, amen. They are at work right now, and so we must guard ourselves and be aware of evil influences and, and remain faithful. If we're going to remain faithful, we've got to ask God for his mercy, and that's why David said, I'm standing on an even place. My feet will not waver, amen. We have got to build those things into our life, amen. We're headed back to Colossians. We can't just guard ourselves, but we've got to make sure there's an even place that we can stand. Colossians 2 and 9, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. And one of the characteristics of, of deceptive teaching Paul warns us about is teaching that doesn't solely depend upon Jesus Christ but rather it merely is, is supported by principles and traditions of the world. But in Colossians 2 and 9, Paul points out of Jesus Christ that all the fullness of the Godhead or the fullness of deity is found in Him. Amen. It really is in Him. He is at the center of all Christian teaching. And, and the verse emphasizes both true deity and the true humanity of Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about dwelleth, E-T-H, that continual, meaning that the fullness of God continues to dwell in Jesus Christ. And so we have the union of the, of the humanity and the deity of Christ in one permanent place. The Greek word translated Godhead refers to the state of being God or the sum total, if we could, of God's nature. It is the sum total of it all. The word bodily indicates the incarnation. The sum total of God became incarnate. It became a human person, a human being. And so the deity of Jesus Christ has found, I believe, implications in the daily lives of believers. It's all in Him. And so since Jesus Christ is the fullness of God in flesh, 
then that means when we have him, then we are complete, are whole in him. In Matthew 16 and 13, Jesus was sitting with his disciples. And I'm not sure how this exactly played out. But somewhere in the course of that conversation, Jesus turned. And I believe, Brother Williams, in a resting and a sobering fashion. And he said, ask a question, a piercing question to those men. He said, who do men say that I am? I want to hear the talk on the street. I want to hear what you're hearing from the rumor mill. I want to know what men or who men say that I am. And so the disciples, by way of conversation, gave him various comments that they had heard. Some, well, some say you're a prophet, and others say that you're John the Baptist, or some say you're Elijah, or some say you're Jeremiah. And so while they relaxed themselves in just a few moments of of just casual conversation. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're this. And when he caught them, amen, he said, but who do you say that I am? What a sobering and startling question. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to surmise they didn't see that one coming. What do men say? What are you hearing on the street? And so he wanted to know, have what you heard on the street changed your opinion of me? Do you think that I'm a prophet? Do you think that I'm Elijah? Do you think that I'm John the Baptist? Do you think that I'm Jeremiah? What has the talk on the street done to your faith? Amen. The issue was that they had to believe in him and him alone. And so tonight, amen, if I could, oh, hallelujah, if I could have the authority of Jesus Christ for just a moment, I would like to just come to where you're sitting and ask you not who do men say he is, but I want to ask you tonight, who do you? You say he is. I will tell you that when we know him and we know him personally and we know him by name, it is a truth that doesn't mind being tried. Amen. We say who Jesus really is. If we say he is anything than Lord, then we are not describing him in the, in the context of true Christianity. And so in the church of Colossae, they were facing a specific form of teaching. And I want to cover this really, real quickly if I can. They were taught that Jesus was just uh, just one uh, uh, emanation, perhaps, of, of God. He was just one secretion of God, just one little something that flows from God. He's just a little part. That's what they were being taught. Amen. But he was not God. He was just a portion of God or something that flows from God. Amen. And there are many people today, sadly, that are teaching that Jesus Christ is less than God. Some say, well, he was a good teacher and a great moral philosopher, or he was a prophet, or some would perhaps just say he was a good man because they want him to be recognized as an example by which we could follow. In fact, people would like for you and I to believe that Jesus was just one of many gods, just one of many gods, amen. But we should beware of that kind of teaching. Hear me tonight. Jesus was not just a good man. He was not just a good moral teacher. He was not just a, a, a good moral philosopher. He was not just a prophet pointing away to God, amen. Jesus was not simply one of the many ways to God, but Jesus Christ himself boldly declared that he alone was the only way to God. In John 14 and 6, Jesus claimed, he said this, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. That's what Jesus said about himself. 
I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. Someone once said, there are really only three opinions that a logical person can come to when you read the passage of Scripture found in John 14 and 6. A logical person could only come to three conclusions about a man that says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the light. Either Jesus was a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. Amen. He was one of the three. He was a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. Amen. Jesus is not the only way. Amen. Not only the way when he was when he was either if he was either deceiving us, Amen. If he wasn't deceiving, if he was deceiving us, then he was a liar, Amen. Or if he was self-deceived, then he was a lunatic. But on the other hand, we know that he was indeed Lord, Amen. We just celebrated the season a babe born in a manger, Amen. Call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Not a God, not one of many gods, but he is God with us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hallelujah. I'm glad that Word became flesh and dwelt among us and walked among us. And I'm glad in Acts chapter 2 that word, amen, that word that became flesh on Calvary's cross was ascended and became spirit and flowed back into our heart. I'm thankful that I have the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the truth of God's word. Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the truth of God's word. Praise God. Jesus Christ is the only way. He's the only way. Not because we say he's the only way, because that, but because that's the truth of his word. You know, oftentimes Christians are labeled judgmental. That said, because we say Jesus is the only way. He is the door. We're not trying to be judgmental. We're just trying to share the truth of this book. Amen. Not our opinion. Sister Sharon Williams didn't write this. This was in his book, eternal book. Amen. So I will, if our musicians would come, I'm going to close with a couple of comments here. One man wrote this. He said, suppose there were two doors, one, one, one blue and the other green. And if you walk through the blue door, you would find yourself in heaven. If you walk through the green door, you'd find yourself in hell. The end result of that knowledge would compel us to tell people to choose the blue door. Not because blue is your favorite color, but it's the knowledge of what's on the other side. And if you saw someone walking toward the green door, you would cry and try with all of your might and with every fiber of your soul to say, no, 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 don't go there. Don't go there. So is that judgmental? Someone accuse us of being prejudiced and favoring one color over another color? It would really have nothing to do with color at all. It would have everything to do with the knowledge of what's on the other side, the revelation of what's happened in your heart. You're just simply telling the people the truth of how to get to heaven and how to avoid hell. Let's stand. We're not prejudiced against other people or other religions. We're just simply saying that Christianity is the only way to God. 
not to offend, but to see people escape hell and to go to heaven. Truth. You can put it to the test. You can, you can try this. It really works. And so we need to be alert. And we need to be discerning about false teachings. I promise you no one's going to just come up to you and say, come on, go to hell with me. No one's going to preface what they have to say with, you know, I know this is not in the Bible, but let me share something. But we got to know how to rightly divide the word of truth. We got to know how to make sense of that and how to, how to, how to share that, impart that with others. Amen. I'm going to conclude this evening with this final challenge. You know, often we think about someone being involved in a false religion as somebody that would be worshiping idols or some sort of cult, and so we could all stand here tonight and say, well, I'm not, I'm, that's not me. And so what the preachers talked about tonight, really, thank you for the words, but they don't really apply to me. But you see, false religion could really be packaged and brought a different way and I want to share that with you tonight the essence of false religion is this a Christian being involved in religious activity while being void of spiritual intimacy it's exemplified by a person having a ritual of religion without a real relationship with God So you can come to church every time the doors are open, never miss, never miss a beat. You can give your tithes and your offerings and you can support missions and you can do all manner of things. You can know the tune and the words of every song, know how to clap just right, know exactly where to say amen, know how to live the part, at least on the outside, walk the part. But if we don't have a real relationship with God we're going to fall short because this is not the end result of our sheer willpower on display but this it's a real relationship with God that holds you in in dark dark seasons I don't want to I don't want to mess up anything tonight in your life but I just want to tell you that I believe all of us have been through some dark times Dark times. And it is our relationship with God that's what held us. It wasn't because people were on the sidelines going, come on, man, you can make it. Come on, you can make it. Because there have been times that everybody in this building thought the world was against you. Amen. We don't have to be ashamed of that. We've all been there. Thought you couldn't buy a friend. And the word of God, that's what held us. It held us, it gave us hope, and it gave us strength. I'm thankful for truth. I'm thankful for truth you can try. Let's magnify the Lord tonight. Amen. Let's worship the Lord in this song. Can we pray? Amen.
This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.